Okay. We're ready to get started on uh, Esther chapter 7 today and go through the end of the book. And I'm very excited to go through this. There's a lot um, to unpack, so we're going to get in pretty quickly. Um, Just this section as a whole, as we're kind of... um, hitting the like we had sort of the turning point and the the omen um so to speak um at the end of chapter six where um where Haman's family says to him look uh he's of Jewish origin and you're not going to overcome him and then uh he's off to Esther's banquet so it's kind of left with that sort of ominous feeling and then we're about to get into um where Haman is uh, unmasked for who mm-hmm. he actually is before the king. Um, and uh, one of the things that stuck out to me as far as, you know, what I would, I, I don't know if it's really a hot take. I don't even know if I use that term appropriately, mm-hmm. but um, that is impressive to me is um, sort of, you've got almost this juxtaposition of Mordecai being elevated and Haman um, you know, proportionately or whatever, and proportionally going down. Um, and that's really strong um, in this section. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, and then I'll, I'll bring this out in each chapter, but uh, again, Esther's continual um, humility through all this and purposeful humility of, you know, if it pleases the king and if I found favor. Those are the, the things that are just... Um, Especially the Esther's example, so very countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, this, to me, is is real um, power, so to speak, in womanhood, um, where someone who recognizes her place and uses that to its greatest ability, um, but is not self-asserting or domineering. And I just think that's really impressive. So, mm-hmm. what stood out to you, ladies? Um, something I've been trying to think about more is this kind of theme of God being present without being named or talking about prayer or mm-hmm. anything. And where that stood out to me the most is just when you have these chapters talking about the feasts being instituted and being celebrated. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back a little bit more just on the tradition of feasts in the Jewish religion. And, like, the Passover is remembering when God saved them from the um, the tenth plague. And there's another one that's, like, a remembrance of wandering in the wilderness where they stay in tents. I don't remember which one that is. But mm-hmm. it's always, like, some remembrance connected to what God has done for them. And so when it talks about the Feast of Purim, it's saying, like, oh, this is in remembrance of what Esther did to save the Jews when they were in exile but thinking about it in the context of all those other feasts it's what god did through esther Mm -hmm. to save the people Mm -hmm. yeah that's really strong there Uh yeah and i i appreciate you bringing that out because one of the things in this feast in particular that that was one of the things well related is the thing the idea of all the other feasts we've read about come out in law you know, uh, and God has commanded, like you were saying, remember that I have saved you. And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you making that connection of, I think he is again saying, remember without saying, you know, explicitly, mm-hmm. I have saved you, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a great point. Thanks mm-hmm. for bringing that out. Sherry, what about you? 
Um, just to that point, um, this feast is mentioned as one that Jesus went to. So we know it's approved. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just a, because I'm sure, I know that, you know, Pharisees and others, you know, post um, Torah um, had other feasts and things that they celebrated, but they weren't really um, authorized particularly by God. But this one is yeah. because, we, and we know that because Jesus actually went to that feast. Um, and um, I, I just think in this, in this uh, section, this is where you start to um, look at the structure of it and remember that seems like something I read mm-hmm. earlier in the earlier in the book. Yeah. Like there are several quotes that seem like they're almost direct quotes from earlier in the book. You know, in the in the corresponding section um, in the chiasm, and uh, also the <laughs> continual mentioning of the king drinking wine. Mm-hmm. So in both of Esther's feasts, we saw it in the earlier feast, you know, at, while they were drinking wine after dinner. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, again, it's like while they're drinking wine after dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it even mentions that um, that um, the king um, that the king uh, was it doesn't say he was drunk, but that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, uh, so it says in verse seven, the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. So mm-hmm. he was basically mad, and part of the reason he was mad is he was drunk. Um, so um, it's just um, uh, it's just interesting that we keep mentioning and, and and there's also the continued the king being drunk and following someone else's advice um sort of abruptly mm-hmm. like changing changing it up or making rash decisions maybe started out by making a rash decision when he when he dethroned Vashti and it just kind of continues He's drunk, and so he makes the, somebody says, "Hey, you should do this," and he's like, "Eh, okay." Um, and so this this one, uh, in, in these instances, he's mad, but the fact that he's full of wine is not helpful mm-hmm. to the situation. Right. Okay. All right. Well, let's get uh, started on chapter seven, and I'll read that chapter first. Now the king Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen, and the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank wine at their banquet, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the troubles, trouble would not be 
would not be commensurate with the, I think there's a word missing on this one, um, with the annoyance to the king. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would presume to do thus? Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed the gallows standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Okay, so the things that I pulled from chapter 7 were, you know, like I was uh, talking about earlier, uh, Esther's um, disposition before the king is so is so impressive to me uh, on a lot of levels. Um, not only is she going through this whole... You know, look, if if it pleases you, um, she goes on, her petition is for her life and the life of her people, and then goes on to say, if we had been sold, I would have remained silent. Um, and with that, one of the things that that brings to mind for me is, um, you know, so many times we are doing introspection and thinking on what sacrifices am I making for the Lord, mm-hmm. and and I don't mean to downplay anything, you know, the things that we overcome and everyone's, you know, situation is unique and different. But I'll hear things like, well, I was really tired and I came to worship service. I mean, and that is to be applauded. And I don't mean to diminish that. But I look at someone like Esther, who, you know, truly is an example of one who would suffer in silence. Um, and she said, but look, I only bring this to you because it's the annihilation of my people. I I, I don't feel that I can stand by and not say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, it's just a lesson to myself of when I think of, well, I'm so sacrificial. Mm-hmm. I brought cookies to a widow, you know, mm-hmm. who, you know, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and just to put things into perspective that maybe my sacrifices aren't quite um, as magnanimous as, mm-hmm. as I think they are. So, um, so that's one thing uh, as far as takeaways from chapter seven um, in her example. And then, um, <clears throat> Sherry, you've kind of already gone through some of this, but um, King Hazarus getting up and being, you know, incredibly angry, leaving the room, coming back and, uh, you know, still, I, I'm, I'm sure not in a, what I would consider right mind seeing Haman fawning over and, you know, just that doesn't do anything to settle him, mm-hmm. um, you know, goes ahead and calls for them to take, to literally take Haman out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting to me, you know, after he's made the sentence, the very last verse there, um, you know, they take him out to be hanged on his own gallows and the king's anger subsided, um, which 
and, and I'm not I'm not saying this is necessarily drawn on purpose from scriptures, but to me it does remind me of the many occasions where God's wrath becomes full, and then it's like, look, you know, there has to be a payment for this. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be mm-hmm. um, justice, so to speak. Um, and once that is met, <clears throat> the anger is subsided. So I, I don't I don't say that to say that that he is a godlike character by any stretch, but that last phrase did bring to mind how many times uh, that I see that example in God that okay, there is a point where his anger says this has to be paid, and um, once that is paid, then his anger can be subsided. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, those are the the few thing notes that I had from seven. Uh, Sherry, what did you have? Um, so, besides the emphasis on the drinking, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think this, um, we talked about this earlier, but I think this um, this is sort of like the pinnacle mm-hmm. of the story. And you can see um, uh, Mordecai's rise and Haman's fall start right here. Mm-hmm. Like, so, it's almost simultaneous that the whole script flips mm-hmm. and everything starts going the other direction uh, down for Haman, up for Mordecai. And um, and so I think this highlights again um, that this is God's doing mm-hmm. um, just because it's like, unless you believe in extreme coincidences. Yeah. Like, there's It's not a coincidence that that the king returns to see Haman laying on the couch. He's begging for his life, mm-hmm. but the king sees that and he sees it as a sexual assault on the queen. Mm-hmm. That's right. basically what he's saying. Right. He's saying, "Oh, you're sexually assaulting my wife right in front of me in mm-hmm. my in my house." Yeah, which is not what he was doing at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the but but when he sees that. Mm-hmm. They don't even wait to see what the king is going to say about that. They just come in and take him. They're like, yep. okay. Um, exactly what would have happened to Esther if the queen, if the king hadn't accepted her when she came in. Instead, he handed her the golden scepter. And uh, if he hadn't, then he wouldn't have had to say anything. They would have mm-hmm. just come in and taken her away. Yeah. Um, and uh, it also, also, it's interesting that the, the Harbona one of the eunuchs sort of piles on, you know, and says, oh yeah, and by the way, he built a, he built a gallows to hang the person on who actually saved your life. Yeah. So, you know, there's that too. It's <laughs> like a like, left field. Gallows, like, it do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so I, yeah, it's, it, it's one of those, it's one of the chapters in, in the whole book is rife with this, but it's one of the chapters that just highlights again this is divine intervention here mm-hmm. because this it's not just a coincidence that he came in and saw Haman laying on the couch for the queen mm-hmm. and thought right you know it's just it's just it's, yeah. there's just so many things that that uh, and this is just one of the glaring examples of of uh, of that happening and he's drunk mm-hmm. besides right you know if he hadn't been drunk he might have you know, been thinking about it a little bit more and been a little bit more retrospective, maybe, you know, not, um, not 
you know, thought about it for a little bit. Okay, what should I do about this? But mm -hmm. he doesn't do that. He gets drunk and he makes a decision. Mm -hmm. Okay, Elizabeth. So um, I guess first thing is, Sherry, I appreciate you mm -hmm. bringing up the um, what the king perceived as assault because I was trying to piece that together and that's how I interpreted mm -hmm. it, that she wasn't actually being assaulted, but that's how it looks like if you're you know, the king and you're drunk and you're not that bright to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but then what I thought was really interesting about this that we haven't talked about is, so she says, you know, Haman is the one who is delivering my people to death. And at the end of the day, you know, Haman is, is hanged. Mm -hmm. So if you're the king and you're not thinking, you're still kind of drunk, I don't think he has a good handle on his administration anyway. It's just like, he doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would click to him that, like, the problem is not solved. Like, mm -hmm. you have gotten rid of the immediate threat, you've gotten rid of Haman, mm -hmm. but that edict is still in order, which we'll mm -hmm. see right. in Chapter 8. Mm -hmm. And that never clicked with me as a kid. Like, you watch the VeggieTales, Esther, <laughs> and Haman gets carted out and punished. They don't really talk about the execution or the sexual assault in that, potentially. Mm -hmm. But... Um, where I was going with that is like, I had always come away with the idea that, oh, Haman gets hanged and then that's the end of the story and everyone's happy mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. That's just chapter seven. We've got mm -hmm. eight, nine, and a little fragmenty 10 to go through mm -hmm. to kind of resolve the story. Yeah. And it's just something that we don't really like emphasize as much to the kids and probably because mm -hmm. it's not super important to emphasize to the kids mm -hmm. that like because it's always good to just peg everything on one bad guy mm -hmm. as if there aren't other there's mm -hmm. probably a bunch of like other anti-semitic people in persia mm -hmm. that are like yeah this is our kill the jews days this mm -hmm. is awesome right mm -hmm. like you still have to eliminate that mm -hmm. threat beyond just the immediate threat of um, Haman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Try yeah, which I think, yeah. <clears throat> and I think yeah, that's yeah. what we'll get more into in the next couple of chapters, but yeah. Um, and just on that note of the, you know, in the Bible class kids, I do think, sidebar, that this, this is a, a good example, and there's so many in the Old Testament where, um, you know, not that you have to go into gory details, you know, of all of every Old Testament story, but I do think we do a disservice when we stop short of telling the full story mm -hmm. and allow the kids to glean what they can glean and start asking questions mm -hmm. at the, you know, their appropriate ages. Um, because they, I mean, I, I know this is said so many times, but I deeply believe it they get more than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And um, and I don't think, you know, I, and I don't mean to to be throwing that out there as like telling inappropriate things, you know, at, in, at ages they're not ready for. But, but read the whole story and just mm -hmm. see what questions come up because mm -hmm. they will, it's, it is interesting to see mm -hmm. different parts and different kids that they, oh, hey, I just noticed that. And what does that mean for this? Mm -hmm. And just the complexity especially what you're talking about, mm -hmm. helping kind of build that thought of it's not just good guy, bad guy. You know, mm -hmm. there is so much more to that, and God brings that out in mm -hmm. Scripture. And I think that's another, to me, validity of Scriptures, that you've got our spiritual heroes that you you see the chinks in the armor. Mm -hmm. And I do think God did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry. I don't want to get too yeah. far off on that. Yeah. Okay, chapter 8. Um, and Sherry, do you mind reading that for us? <clears throat> <Yeah. clears throat> 
On that day, King Ahasuer escaped to the Queen Esther, the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews, in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Saban, in the twenty-third day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews to the satraps, the governors of the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script, and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus the seal, and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews, who were in every city, to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any army, force, any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of, the king, of king Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of which was written was to be of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for they feared the Jews had fallen on them. Oh, excuse me, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Okay. I do love that last yeah. verse. Uh, yes, and I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. <laughs> Jewish, Jewish, so just <laughs> Okay, all right. I And I've lost track. Uh, Sherry, I think I started with you last time. So, Elizabeth, what are your thoughts about eight? Yeah, so I think this kind of ties into the comment that I made at the end of seven. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, Haman's gone, but we still have to, like, fix the the decree that, like, hey, whatever day this is, it's killing the Jews day. Like, we can't have that. Yeah. So I think just the way their laws work are really interesting. Where, like, if 
Esther's like, please revoke this. And he's like, yeah, we actually can't do that. So you're just going to have to like write another law mm-hmm. to overrule that one. I don't remember exactly. Is that in Daniel as well? Some mm-hmm. some similar mechanism. Right. Yeah. That doesn't seem terribly efficient, but that's that's not the point here. Where... Okay. Sidebar. What government is efficient, Elizabeth? <laughs> that's also History. True. History. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, we kind of see the king doing what he always does, which is delegating. So he gives more Kaiser and he's like, Hey, you do whatever you think is best. I just I don't know. In this case, it's working out better for the Jews, but you'd think he'd kind of learn um, maybe to be more careful with just throwing a signet ring around. Anyways, that's also not the point I'm trying to make. So they have that, and they override it, and then something that I thought was kind of interesting was that they are just allowed to act in self-defense, and I can't remember if it was in this chapter. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, that so if people an armed force comes to get them they can defend themselves but they can also plunder them mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting and I also didn't pick up on in my first read-throughs it's like oh not only can they defend themselves kill their attackers they can just take their stuff too and like profit off of this mm-hmm. if they wanted to which if I recall further on down the line I don't think they do that right um, and then I did think that last verse was re- was really funny. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'm a Jew. <laughs> Just don't hurt me. See, I'm Ionica. Like, everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Exactly. Yes. Energy. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, those are my main thoughts, though. Okay. All right, Sherry, what have you got? Okay. So, um, this is this is um, this is the beginning of it. Is basically Mordecai taking the place of Haman. Mm-hmm. So everything that the king has done for and given to Haman, he flips it around and gives that same thing to Mordecai. The mm-hmm. signet ring, the authority to do whatever he wants, right. um, which he has given to Haman. You know, that's, that's the reason mm-hmm. that we're in this pickle, is that he gave Haman the authority to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And Can I pause to yeah. ask a quick question? Okay, on did he, when I was reading through this, it looked like he put Haman's household in Esther's control, and then Esther said, Mordecai, you are over that. Right. Is that right? Right. Okay. All right. So Mordecai is basically being put in the place right. of Haman in that instance, too. Right. Mor- Haman's not in charge of his own house. Mordecai's in charge of Haman's gotcha. house. Gotcha. Okay. Um, which is not good. I just wanted to make sure I was reading Mm -hmm. that correctly because I didn't remember. I mean, you know, my remembrance was Mm -hmm. him setting up Mordecai, Mm -hmm. which he is over other Mm -hmm. things, but Mm -hmm. I I forgot about that Esther Mm -hmm. appointing Mordecai over Haman's house specifically. Okay. And so um, uh, the other thing I noticed, I think the king is, was thinking, you know, like you had said, um, uh, Elizabeth, at the end of chapter 7, the king's like, okay, well, now I'm not mad anymore. Everything's cool. Well, it's not because there's this thing that you did before that can't be undone, and that's Mm -hmm. still in force. Um, And so when she comes to him, he's like, well, what else else do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she's like, well, actually, you know, this is like the main thing. Um, uh, So, um, but it's... uh, I think Haman, the things that I took out of it were, were Haman and Mordecai basically switching places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and the 
other enemies of the Jews, which wasn't it was not just Haman, but right. everybody else, because obviously um, there, if Haman was the only one that was anti-Semitic in the story, then it wouldn't have been a problem that he sent out this decree because everybody would have said, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. But they didn't. They, there were a lot of them. And, um, uh, and even when, even when the, when the day came, the 13th of Adar, there were a lot of people who were killed. And why? It's not because the Jews sought them out. It was because the Jews were defending themselves right. against all these people. Right. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of, um, we can see a lot of, um, of, um, uh, exact wording that, or almost exact wording uh, from when Haman's decree went out. The, mm -hmm. the couriers, the letters being sent out in the languages of the people that they went to um, uh, destroy, kill, annihilate, and plunder. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason you see that in here. Although they did not plunder, um, they were allowed to plunder, just like, you know, in chapter whatever it was, chapter two, mm -hmm. um, where that was one of the things they were going to be allowed to do was plunder. Right. Um, and then at the end of chapter three, um, it says that um, Susa was thrown into confusion. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, they rejoiced. So it's a complete reversal of that. And um, uh, uh, people, instead of being afraid and the city being thrown into confusion, everybody's glad and the, the, the place of the Jews is elevated, mm -hmm. whereas before it was, it right. was you know, degraded. So, yeah, those are the things. Um, okay, so one of the things that you were saying about, um, you know, the number of anti-Semitic people, mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing that, I mean, obviously, you know, we just don't bring out uh, necessarily in kids' classes, but is, again, another layer of understanding, I think, of Haman is not the only, quote, bad guy here. You know, like this, and, and again, this, and this is something that I'm still, you know, learning in my rereads of, because it's always, it's like when I think about history and stories like this in particular, like in, in, in Bible uh, readings, and then on top of that, things like um, the Holocaust, mm -hmm. where it, you know, as a kid, when I'm, you know, hearing about this and learning about this, it has always baffled mm -hmm. me why all this hatred for people who kind of seem to be like doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it is anyway, so I'm saying all that to say it is making more sense to me how the world would look at these people and go, look, they're trouble. We need mm -hmm. to get rid of them. You know what I mean? And how mm -hmm. they would view um, these people who do not quite fit in, um, mm -hmm. so to speak. So, uh, and and the 127 provinces mm -hmm. from India to Ethiopia um, stood out to me on this read through because, again, my vague remembrance is he sent out the edict, and I'm thinking it's here in. Persia, but I'm thinking Persia as in like, you know, not very, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a, yeah. not a proper 
not a proper understanding of how vast that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how many different languages that encompassed, mm-hmm. how many different peoples. Mm-hmm. And when I start thinking about that, I start thinking, wow, that is a lot of people mm-hmm. that would not, that would have some contempt for the Israelites or the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, that, that was jarring to me to read through and go, wow, this is so far so much more far reaching than right. in my what I had in my mm-hmm. mind when mm-hmm. I've read Esther before. Mm-hmm. And I think really like capital city mm-hmm. is is the far reach mm-hmm. of my mm-hmm. okay, this is gonna affect the Jews in Susa. Mm-hmm. Um, but not thinking how far spreading that edict mm-hmm. was right. before. Right. You know And you think about what, what kind of an undertaking that was for Mordecai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially in that day and time. Yeah. To send word as far as he had to send it in as many different languages as he had to send it and get it out in a particular amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which that's the other thing. And that's, I wanted to uh, make sure I understood this correctly too. So it looks like they had nine months to prepare. Is that right? Cause we started in yeah. the third month mm-hmm. and then it was set though for the 12th Twelve. month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, like I'm going back to my kid class remembrance of this and I'm thinking, okay, he's got the decree out. And then the next day, there's the battle. Well, no, no. <laughs> that's not how it went down. So um, anyway, so it's just helpful to kind of read these things with fresh eyes and and be looking for what did we miss because we I, I, I'm just more and more appreciating. Yes, I've always missed things. I need to go back and fill in a lot of these gaps. So anyway, one more thing I wanted to say about like the spread of it while we're talking about that that this would also include like the people still in Israel, like mm-hmm. the remnant that was there mm-hmm. yeah. and just how important it is that if that had gone through, like all the Jews everywhere would have been completely wiped out. And I think this really mm-hmm. speaks even more to the role of God mm-hmm. in this story where he's not going to let the remnant get wiped out. Like if it was just the people in Susa, like, okay, there might be some p- people still like chilling around the ruins of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but no, this is like, everywhere mm-hmm. which would make it serious yeah right well and you know kind of going back to to you know mordecai's admonition god will find a way you know he will keep a remnant but you know you get to decide whether or not you're going to be a part of that okay so uh chapter was there anything else before we move into chapter nine <clears throat> okay and elizabeth yep. you've got the longest chapter i'm so sorry that's okay <laughs> all right Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces, and the satraps, and the governors, and the royal agents, who also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed five hundred men, and also killed... Parshandatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Paratha, and Adalia, and Eridatha, and Parmashta, 
and Arisai, and Eridai, and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, and they but they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. What further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. Let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that day a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had, start, had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast Pur, that is, lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in, in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring, and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written, and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring, with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther was confirmed, confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. Okay. Um, so, going off uh, 
of the kind of summary that uh, chapter eight made of <clears throat> um, of the people being, you know, lighthearted and then also uh, many instant converts of Jewish people. Um, we go into kind of the details of what actually happened um, in the 12th month. And so <clears throat> um, this is, okay, the, the things that I pulled out as far as, you know, impressive to me um, without just like going through the entire narrative is when, when Hasarius, I, I, now I'm self-conscious about how I pronounce yeah, I that. Um, <laughs> when the king said, uh, look, these are, 500 people were killed in the capital, you know, mm -hmm. what else do you want done? Um, I just, it is amazing to me. I, my thoughts are, okay, that's when she says, thank you. That's great. Um, but she says, go ahead, hang Haman's sons on the gallows and one more day. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, and then the numbers, like you were pointing out earlier, I think, Sherry, mm -hmm. it was you. Uh, just it's astounding how many people um, were not fearful of the Jews and still had that hatred mm -hmm. um, and went after them. So, uh, so that was very impressive to me. Um, also... <clears throat> these uh one of my questions was on the 13th and 14th um I, I wasn't sure the way that it was worded if it was two days that this feast is um uh, recognized or if it's one day depending on where you are or another um so you know if you can give me some insight on that i would appreciate it but i did love the ending of this chapter where it's uh kind of Focusing in on Mordecai and Esther, taking the time to make she, these, sure these things are written down and remembered. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, kind of goes back to a lot of things, you know, that Moses, you know, that was the same thing of, you know, either put this in a song that it's mm -hmm. not forgotten, um, but make sure this is important that this be remembered, um, you know, for descendants to come and, and, um, for the future generations of Jewish people. So mm -hmm. anyway, there's just so much in there. What have y'all got? Um, <clears throat> okay, so I think it was two days. Just there are a couple of uh, references these days. Mm -hmm. um, um, when he talked about, uh, when when it talks about um, the, the days, these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also think it's consistent that it's so this chapter a, a lot particularly the end of the chapter where it talks about the um, institution of Purim mm -hmm. um, I think so the author is sort of bringing this full circle and saying this is why we celebrate Purim mm -hmm. and this is why we celebrate it for two days yeah um, because there was the first day, and then there was, and, and then in the provinces, we got was one more day. second day. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, um, so I think that that's, um, I think that's significant, and uh, and and it talks, it, it, and again, verse twenty-two, they should make these days of feasting and gladness. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was two days, okay, like the thirteenth and the fourteenth. Yeah. And I think that because this is such a detailed description of this happened on the 13th, 
This mm-hmm. happened on the 14th. That's why we celebrated on the 13th and the 14th. And the 14th, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, um, because I think this is like, this This is written to an audience to describe to them, this is why we celebrate this feast. Yeah. Although it also shows us, like Elizabeth was uh, pointing out, um, that um, um, this is why this book is in here. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the, um, uh, because, I mean, it's one of the things that I always ask the kids when I'm teaching it. Um, why is, of any book in the Bible, I, have, I always ask them, why is this book in here? Why is this story here? Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of other, why is the story of Ruth there? Yeah. There was, I'm sure there was a lot of other nice young women who married and, mm-hmm. you know, and were good people. And so it's not just about that. It's yeah. about, it's about um, God's people still existing and the line the lineage of christ still in existence even though they were almost annihilated here right and then here's another instance where they were almost annihilated but there's still a threat yeah and um so this is another uh reason why the book is in here for us i think but for mm-hmm. the people i think for the audience that it was written to it's just a description of okay this is why we celebrate these mm-hmm. and this is why we do it on two days this is why we give gifts. Um, uh, I also um, noticed that in chapter two, um, there was a feast honoring Esther. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, this is the, the other half of that um, because it, it's in honor of Esther. Mm-hmm. And um, it also mentioned in both places a tax holiday. Mm-hmm interesting because then at the beginning of chapter 10 it mentions instituting another tax right. I don't know it's because they gave too many tax holidays <laughs> and was like okay we're sort of running out of money here um, but it is interesting that they that that was one of the things was there was a tax holiday mm-hmm. you know for everybody so um, um, and um, the fact that uh, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to bring out which I brought out before was that they did not lay their hand hands on the plunder, plunder yeah. uh, as they could have. And instead, they made it into a... The, uh, it was so much violence. This is another dichotomy. There was so much violence and destruction, killing of people and those kind of things that, like, the peace is mentioned in this in this mm-hmm. chapter, that this is a day of peace um, uh, and a day of giving to the poor and um, exchanging gifts and, you know, gladness and peace rather than you know mm-hmm. danger and destruction yeah all right what have you got from nine so i two things kind of stuck out to me the first thing was Haman's sons being killed his 10 sons and it just made me think of how in chapter five when Haman invites all his friends over and one of the things that specifically mentions him boasting about is the number of sons he has mm-hmm. and this is really important so it just shows that they're wiping out the entire lineage, which kind of ties into this, like, Saul Agag thing mm-hmm. that's been going, where it's like, okay, Saul was supposed to completely wipe out Agag. He didn't do that. Mordecai and Esther are completely wiping out their descendants, and there is, like, no line after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be, like, other lines, but this is the main one that's important here. Mm-hmm. And then 
The other thing that, I don't know, I might be just like reading into this, but when the king reports to Esther how many people had been killed by the Jews, he almost seems like almost afraid or maybe mm-hmm. a little desperate. Um, just kind of maybe he didn't really know the full extent of the numbers and power that the Jews had in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you learn that there's a group of people that's really powerful and you have an in with them, like your wife, mm-hmm. then it, it would be important uh, for that. Where I think that kind of ties in where she's using her influence mm-hmm. for good. And if Esther had a mind to, mm-hmm. who knows what, what would have happened to them mm-hmm. if she had decided to use that right. evilly. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. I really could be reading into it. Like it could just be, okay, your people almost got killed. What more can we do for you? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just kind of thought it seemed a little desperate mm-hmm. or scared maybe. Yeah, well, that's what I was, at least my reading of it, I was, like I said, it's just, it is a little jarring that, like, I would think to me when I hear, okay, 500 in this city, mm-hmm. like, are you satiated? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and then she says, well, one more day would be, that would be enough. You know, mm-hmm. and I just, that's like, wow. Mm-hmm. I just, anyway, that's mm-hmm. very shocking to my system because, I mean, I, I, Anyway, that that's the way I read his thing is similar to what you're saying is like that five hundred are down just in the city. What else, you know, and he goes on to say, What about the rest of my provinces? Like how many, you know, are gonna be in the the entirety? Well, I think the mention of two days is 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 a theme. You know, we've got the two feasts. Mm-hmm. You know, he, she brings him in for two feasts. Okay, what do you want? Okay, the next time, what do you want? What more do you want? You know, and you know, now it's and I think that is also a way of telling the readers that, okay, that's why it's two days. Yeah. Yeah. I had not made that connection. Mm-hmm. That's very good. <clears throat> okay. Chapter 10. We're going to go through this as quickly as possible because our time is getting low. Um, now, King Hazarus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, and the great and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation." I just love this. I mean, it's just, it's like a, you know, one paragraph mm-hmm. just about, and uh, just, but just so succinctly kind of uh, concludes things. And especially I just, that picture of Mordecai and the type of man he was, that it wasn't just, he was in favor among the Jews, but it, it reminds me again of Joseph, mm-hmm. you know, that this mm-hmm. is someone who was a wise person who knew how to help deal you know help people and help the whole as a group and it just it makes me think of the you know the people in history that we've read about the the noble kings mm-hmm. who really sought out the good uh of the people and and that is just impressive to me that mm-hmm. that picture and it makes me think in you know new testament 
passages where we're looking for the characteristics of an elder. Mm-hmm. That's a wise and noble person who's looking out for the health and the, the wellness of the, the church locally. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are the, my few mm-hmm. thoughts from Tim. What have y'all got? Oh, that kind of reminded me a little bit of Jeremiah when they're being prophesied that, hey, you're going to be taken away to Babylon, but don't fight it, number one. And number two, seek the welfare of the country, like Mm -hmm. settle down, you're going to be there for a while. Mm -hmm. And we see that's exactly what Esther and Mordecai have done Mm -hmm. while still looking out for the welfare Mm -hmm. of the Jews as well. So they're protecting their people, but not at the expense of the nation of Persia, mm-hmm. which I think falls in line really well with what God was telling them to do through Jeremiah mm-hmm. when they initially went to captivity, which I guess mm-hmm. was about 70 years by this point. This is kind mm-hmm. of the end of the 70 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. After that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is after that, so um, because it falls between Ezra 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe closer um, to 100. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I... Um, just um, Mordecai is, uh, re- kind of reminds me of Daniel because mm-hmm. you know here's a person who even though some of the Jews have returned so they're not all there um, but there are enough of them there that uh, it's important and um, so Daniel chose to work through for God through the king of Babylon and Mordecai you know, chose the same mm-hmm. sort of path to work for the people of God through his position in, in yeah. you know, in the palace of, of, uh, of Susa and being second to the king, even though he was kind of still captive, mm-hmm. um, just like Daniel was. And, and the queen, quite honestly, because I yeah. mean, she didn't choose to, like, marry the king. That was just, a, right. you know, it happened to her. She didn't, she yeah. didn't. Um, and so, um, just it, it's just it's just um, impressive to me that there there are just very few people in the Bible that are highlighted in that way, where they use their position in an oppressive kingdom to do what they could. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's <clears throat> I, I appreciate that point from the perspective of you know, like you said, there are very few in those particular kinds of scenarios. Mm-hmm. But I do think, isn't, isn't that a common theme, though, of pretty much every person that God will highlight and say, this is the person that I love? Mm-hmm. Because in, in whatever, whether lifted up, you know, whether learning to um, abound or learning to abase, mm-hmm. they are finding a route to glorify God with their life. And that mm-hmm. is their life purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're a servant or whether they're in second command, mm-hmm. you know, to the king. And that is, that's what's impressive to mm-hmm. me about, I mean, and, you, and and Mordecai is a wonderful example. And Daniel mm-hmm. is an excellent example where we see before they were lifted up, mm-hmm. they had that same, right. you know, it wasn't just, oh, well, now I'm in a power position, mm-hmm. a position of power. Mm-hmm. Now I can do something. No, mm-hmm. he's done it all his life. And the same right. for Daniel, you know, right. it wasn't just when the edict went out, well, mm-hmm. now I'm going to show that I'm faithful and I'm mm-hmm. going to go and pray. And mm-hmm. he was doing that all his life, right. you know, and that's it. very impressive. Okay. Right. And we're getting red flags, so mm-hmm. I will cut us off there. But next week, <clears throat> we're willing, we'll uh, go back to Ezra 
because that's our timeline that we're following and then finish up the book of Ezra.